0: Kerry, very nice uh, very nice to see you. Um, and the, you are currently in a particular job. Uh, could you just explain to the viewers who you are, what you
1: did on Time Team, and what you're doing now? Okay, well, Kerry Ely, I started with Time Team as a digger um, a long time ago. My first program was alive, and after a about three four years of digging mostly with phil or Caranza, i then moved on to uh the production side and became a location manager so it's basically dealing with everything from from toilets to helicopters this is as simple as that and organizing people and organizing sites um, and how
0: many years did you do that for Kerry? how many shows did you do I started
1: on Series 6, so I was there for the 50th party, I was there for the 100th party, I was there for the 200th party, and all the parties in between.
0: I I used to love those moments where you'd have organised the cherry picker, you'd have organised the vehicles coming and going, you'd have organised the catering and everything else going on. And then on about the third day, I'd grab you and get you to get in a trench and start digging a bit. Yes. Was that a highlight for you or was that just you were, by then you were knackered?
1: To, to be honest, it was nice still to do something. You know, even though uh, I, I moved slightly away from digging, it was still nice to do in there because the actual still that joy of finding something... Um, and it doesn't matter what it is, you know, one of the houses I've been um, working on at the moment um, found a Georgian coin. In there. And that was that's just as exciting as, you know, digging a hole in the ground. You know, It's just finding something that you can hold. Yeah.
0: And just I uh, my memory of this is you were recruited to Time Team by Mick. Mick, Mick. I remember telling me a long story about he got this chap who would be brilliant to get on Time Team. <laughs> How did you meet Mick originally and how
1: did that come together? Uh, with Mick, it was uh, his Shackwick project that um, he ran all those years with Teresa. And um, I was at King Alfred's um, doing my degree in archaeology. So when I came out of the forces, I went into um, archaeology and um, got on so well there that myself and Richard McConnell, my mate there, we ended up teaching and so we ended up teaching uh, the students through all the Shatwick projects. So I got to know Mick really well before um, I even did my first time seeing. You probably knew him before I did, way back when. Yeah, we had, um, yeah, I think it must be about 92, I think, I first met him. So I think he did know him a bit earlier. But we, yeah, yeah. And we used to go over his house in an evening or he'd come over and... Um, we just had a good time and he was just so good with all the students as well you know so now Very at the nice moment man.
0: you're you have this role um of looking after groups of people who are interested in the kind of things you can train them in what sort of people
1: come to you and what sort of things can you train them in you it, it's people from every single walk of life and I've, I've done it um with other people as well but it's um You've got everything from ex-forces to um, shop workers to uh, every dustbin man. It's every single branch of the world because they've got an interest in digging. They've got an interest in history and they want to find something. And you can teach any, any of them, any level of archaeology. And it's all down to maybe how old they are, how physically capable they are, but you can get them all to do it to a certain level. So that's what I always enjoyed was with King, certainly with King Alfred, the range was, uh, you know, you have the students and then we'd have the local volunteers, some of them being in their 70s. and But you just teach them to their level. And as long as they're happy, that's the main thing. And most of them are just happy on their knees, scraping with a trowel and suddenly find The smallest thing but it's the same thing they found something and now you're a color sergeant which regiment
0: is that with what what are you doing now with the group of people you're working with now
1: okay so now as a part as a part-time um it's like going back into uniform but it's part of um, the army cadet force Um, and i'm part of wiltshire army cadet force and we basically take Um, kids boys and girls from 12 to 18 and they're given a a uniformed um, background into um, military life they're taught how to um, they're taught field craft, they go out on exercise they're taught how to shoot they're taught values and standards which is one of the main things is we teach them you know how to respect each other how to respect everyone else themselves as well And uh, they they get just a good grounding in a solid um, career. And if they want to carry that on into the forces, that's great. But the majority don't. But it gives them a really good grounding. It gives them confidence. We take them out on expeditions. They can go, as they get older, they can go canoeing. They can do DV. They can go rock climbing. So it's just giving them a chance to do something that they wouldn't normally do.
0: And I think you and I um, both, one of the great digs I remember on Time Team was where we worked with the service on, on Salisbury Plain. These were soldiers who'd been through a lot of tough times in Afghanistan and all the rest of it. And it was interesting how they, when they came onto a site with us, that sort of squad psychology and the way they worked together supported each other it was very impressive seeing the way that psychology of guys working together
1: with the unit seemed to apply
0: itself to that dig
1: yeah it's the same with you know with all the branches of the forces you know that you look after each other and um, you know, I wasn't in, uh, the, the combat zones and that they were in. I didn't get to do all the um, and I was lucky. I came out, you know, with no injuries at all. So I can't put myself directly in that place. But it is, you still look after each other, you keep your eye out for each other and you work together. And you, and the things as well is you've all, you've grown up sort of and you've trained under a system that you all understand and i think that helps certainly helps with them and especially with their digging and when they were all working together they know pretty much what each other's going to do
0: and i remember a couple of times i was um i'd be talking to a group of them and i'd be saying um you know do you think would you mind going over there and sorting out would you would you like to do and the commanding guy came up and he said I think you're just confusing them now, Tim. Just <laughs> yeah. tell them what you want them to do, and they'll do it. And uh, it was it was fantastic in some ways. But yeah, in the forces, learned a lot from there. What I think they had was a sort of concentration
1: of purpose on the job. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And of course, of course, in the forces, no one has asked you to do anything with a please at the end. So yeah, that would confuse them. <laughs>
0: One of the things we asked you to handle, and I've had a look at some of these recently because we've got the archive here in the sheds, as it were. Occasionally, I have days when I decide to throw out the paperwork, and and I've got one very large, heavily loaded shelf labelled "Health and Safety Reports." <laughs> and some of those health and safety reports are marginally longer than the film scripts for yeah. some of the shows. That was quite a job, wasn't it? Because I think you came in at that stage when people were more aware of issues like that and it and it required a lot of it well imagination you had to almost imagine the potential
1: disasters. How did you cope and did you did we send you on courses or what Yes, yeah, yep, yeah, I did quite a few courses, um, but a lot of it is down to common sense, um, which unfortunately, a lot of people on site didn 't have, but um you know. <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of the time it's basically herding cats which is the main thing. In fact, I went for a couple of interviews with other programs and they said, how do you deal with that for the health and safety? And I said, what I do is I imagine that I'm taking a load of kids on a bus trip and anything that you possibly think that those kids can do is what you take your risk as. I think what it was as well is that certainly from me, if you look at time things beginning, you know, how many were they? We've got, Four of you and a crew, yeah. You know, by the time we got to the last program, it was nearly 100. Sometimes there was nearly 100 people on site scary numbers. It, scary was, numbers. it was, it was, it was more like a um costume drama sometimes. In you know? a
0: the other thing that would give me sleepless nights, or did give me sleepless mm-hmm. nights, and probably you as well back then, is we would often be doing digs where, um, I'm thinking of Glenarvon, you know, that massive great pit we dug. Yeah in Wales um, this was a, an iron working foundry site I think and we ended up with a, 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 the biggest hole we've ever dug and occasionally we'd look at sites like that and, and you'd have to do a civil engineering job to stop the yeah. sites collapsing
1: so we could get somebody in to see what was there yeah I, I didn't actually do that one I'm not responsible Mick, Mick the dig was responsible for that hole I'm responsible for some other ones but not that one um, but that that was half the issue as well is it's so often we were so deep and by the time you've done all the shoring because obviously health and safety was picking up and you're in the public eye all the time that you ended up, like you know, like with there, you'd end up with a 20-foot wide hole at the top and four foot square at the bottom with, you know, your smallest archaeologist you can find and try and figure it out. Yeah. Yes, it, was, it was always that
0: sense that when you look down in a hole and the archaeologist at the bottom looks smaller than you could possibly imagine.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most main engineering one was the mill in Somerset. And they had to completely shore up because Phil had pretty much dug away the whole of the side of um, a small hill. And there was a, a whacking great oak or chestnut on the top that was starting to come in. So, yes... Sometimes you need to do quite a bit of work. I always rather regarded the possibility
0: of you, ray and Henry having discussions in dark corners as rather alarming um, because invariably out of that would come some strange scheme. I'd <laughs> like to share with our viewers and listeners um, the famous event where uh, John's geophysics machine uh, uh, came under a certain amount of threat. How did that arrive and, and, and what, uh, foul thinking and misdeeds went on in the background? I, do you know, I,
1: it started on a site that I found myself with nothing to do for a, 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 an afternoon and I just happened to walk into one of the rooms and there were loads of, um, fluorescent tubes in there. And Jimmy was in there working, and I just looked at the kit and I said, "Well, that would make a really good copy of a magnetometer." And um, it then grew from there. So I then spent, I think, the next every spare moment on the next six or seven programs, making the bits. And then um, uh, Jimmy would let me photograph the dials, and Neil would copy them, or Ray Sand copy them, and stick them all on there. Yes, and then um, it took a lot of planning right at the end. Fortunately, Dude was there at the end to help film it. And um, yeah, um, John thought that the JCB had run over is 10,000 pounds worth of equipment, you know, so, <laughs> but we and, did some other things that were just as bad, didn't we? But then it always worked the other way around, you know, we'd get each other back. And I know it used to drive some of you to distraction because we, we, Sometimes it would appear that we were putting more effort into getting each other than we were into the programme. But
0: uh, One of my favourite moments was that we'd done this site up in Scotland, uh, a crannog, an island, an Iron Age site. Lock Migdale. Back in the, Migdale, and back in the day, um, we had this wonderful visual shot of the lake and we laid eel traps the following, the previous mm-hmm. night. And then the following morning, as the sun rose and we drifted along the quay with a lovely long shot, and they bent down and pulled up these eel traps, and there were about there's about ten cans of canned tuna in them.
1: Yeah, there, it was um, tuna and some trout that we caught from the supermarket. That was me and uh, the location man at the time. Yeah, we rode out into the middle of that lock at five o'clock in the morning to take to do that. There was a lot of effort went into some of these things. But they did get their own back on me because, um, a following the shoot, they filled, um, all the cavities in my van with dead fish. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I was nearly sick.
0: <laughs> so this is the other life that goes on. Yes. Um, I think you probably
1: are close to doing a hundred
0: shows or more. Oh, no,
1: yeah, way more. I remember Graham Dixon did a video for me for a hundred. I think I probably did. 150
0: 160 and archaeologically Kerry what what was the most satisfying of those is there one that you remember where we managed to find what we hoped we'd find at the end of the dig or we were actually looking at something that had I mean you you were particularly interested in gold beach and, and the one yeah.
1: with, on the normandy land yeah yeah uh, that one that one um for me because obviously I've got a military interest in anyway but for me, um going out there and um walking the route with one of the guys who landed at gold beach and I, i'm going to look up because his, his name is Michael Brennan, and he was a runner um for the dorset Dorsetshire regiment and he landed gold beach, and we followed where he went it, it, you can watch you can watch as many documentaries on um, war times uh, or any, any military action. But unless you actually either stand there or can actually go with the guys who were there, you don't get that full understanding. And to actually follow him up all those little narrow tracks and he said that there was some um, guys there with the brain gun in one corner, there were people fighting another, And when we went into the hedges, there were little piles of spent 303 rounds, and it, it just it it make just brings it home, and I think it makes it clearer to the people when you see what this bloke did, what all his bloke, other mates did, where some of his mates died, um, and the fact that we found lots of militaria was you know even better. But uh, and yeah. I,
0: I remember that sensation of suddenly. We looked at the sites from the beach, and then we went over the other side and and saw the emplacements and the concrete, the hidden tunnels that the Germans were in, firing down on this beach. And you
1: thought, you know, what would it be to be running up against this lot? Well, that's that's interesting. But uh, I've been lucky with the cadets over the last few years before the pandemic. We have taken um, thousands of cadets. We do battlefield tours. So one year we took a whole load over to the Somme, but the, um, the year before the pandemic, we took them over to um, Omaha Gold and Saw Beaches and the museums. And if you, what we used to do, the, one of the tricks is if you do the pack of cards, so you deal out a whole pack of cards and you start them at the coast lot at the sea and you say, right, start running. And then you shout, number one, down, number two, down, number three. And it's only those holding the kings that actually get to the beach. And it's when you see that expanse and you see how hard it was, you get a really good understanding. And and the odd thing was, was as well, on that trip, we actually went through the village that we filmed at. We were actually at the same place, which is really odd.
0: Yeah. The other military one I remember... Was Weir F. Roy. Yeah, I did do
1: that one. That was over in France with the Spitfire. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary sight from all sorts of points of view. And for you, as a as a digger, as an archaeologist, going back to the early start of your career, which which time team do you remember archaeologically for something you were involved in digging or finding?
1: I get asked this question a lot. What was your favourite what thing and what? Do you know what? I don't. I don't have a favorite. I haven't got one that sticks out and says that was. Apart from, I, I never liked prehistoric stuff. I've, I've never told Phil that, but I found it quite disinteresting. You know, in, you know a, a, a flake of flint on the ground is, is, doesn't grab me. But um, just all the sites we did were so varied. And so different and had so many different stories and we found so many different things. You know, you you could go and take it, say, one of the places where um I think you were talking to Ray Sand about the other day about Dinnington. Those mosaics, and when we did the live, those mosaics were fantastic. And then when we went up to Blackpool and um dug up those um intrude, uh, invade intruders, I think the A one aircraft that crashed, second War, you know, and the fifty calibre machine guns were still in there. They're totally different, but to me, they all, they all have the same sort of meaning. Yeah.
0: Well, Kerry, I have to say uh, it's a great pleasure to talk to you, but also to imagine that you're going to be there at Broughton with us. Uh, yeah. that, that gives me uh, uh, a wonderful sense of confidence and security. <laughs> um, as long as i keep an eye on you ray Anne, and henry uh, getting together well fortunately work.
1: ray Sands in new zealand so things will be all right and, and i won't and, stop him plotting i can tell you <laughs> uh, and, and, and i also think as well that um uh, i think henry's got a bit too serious in his older age as well so i think we'll be okay
0: He's professor now, so uh but there's still a, a slightly wicked glint in his eye when I told yeah. him, you know let's come on join mm-hmm. us again on at, at the time team and I think there was a a grin on his face, which uh, wasn't <laughs> archeological pleasure yeah, well, nice well, so. to you. lovely to see you in your uh, the, your headquarters there, Thank and it. Uh, with a bit of luck, we don't know we might be seeing some of your lads and lasses joining us on the site if they get a chance and they'll be if, if
1: we can it's it all down to COVID and you know getting people about but we'll, we'll see we'll see what
0: we can do brilliant kerry thank you very much you. Uh, you're welcome tim wishes and and as a health and safety officer try not to fall off any more roofs uh, <laughs> in the near future Lovely thanks very you. much cheers see you later We can't do any of this work without you, so please subscribe, back us on Patreon, and make sure that Time
1: Team comes back again.